This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on 1 Peter called Stand Firm in Grace. Fortunate if you've been blessed, if God has sheltered you, you have enjoyed, I hope, the leadership and the care of those who do know Jesus and who seek to follow him and show his care to those under their charge. Spiritual leadership is vital to the health of everyone, whether or not you are called to be a leader. Because you know what? Leadership is unavoidable in the church of God as in any situation. I was in the UK uh, in July, and I sat down with an old pastor, this guy was in his, almost in his 80s, and he was describing to me starting up a fellowship in the UK in the 1960s. And this was a very blue-collar guy. It was the 60s, so they kind of sat around in a circle and just worshipped God together, led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, an experienced pastor came to visit them, and he asked my friend Don after the meeting, so who's the leader? Who's in charge here? And Don said, well, you know, we don't have a leader. We're led by the Spirit. And the pastor said, well, who do people complain to? And Don said, well, uh, me. And the guy's like, you're the leader. <laughs> Leadership always arises, whether intentionally or not. And the health of the church rises and falls based on the health of its leaders. Like shepherd, like people. And I suppose it's possible, but it would be exceedingly rare for there to be a strong, gracious, healthy, God-focused church without a strong, gracious, healthy, God-focused pastor. And the opposite is true as well. And here we are in the book of Peter talking about following Jesus along the way of the cross to the way of glory. And now in chapter 5, he begins speaking about elders and leaders in the church. And this is not some random insertion where Peter's like, oh, there's a few things on my list. I've just got to jam in there. In fact, this flows very much with what he's been talking about because in the previous chapter, he spoke about judgment beginning with the household of God. There is judgment in the world as God sifts the good from the bad, the righteous from the evil. And it's coming for the world, but it's already beginning with the church of God. And in the church, it begins with the elders and the leaders. Now we have this word elder that appears throughout the New Testament. It's not just Peter, but Luke mentions it frequently in the book of Acts. Paul talks about it. James talks about it. And elders are simply the senior leaders of the Christian community. And we're not sure here in Peter just how formalized and how institutional it was. These seem to have been small churches just in embryo, but there were people among in those small groups of Christians who were recognized as leaders in the community, mostly older, respected people that everyone looked up to. And these are the people that have the charge of the church of God in those places. And here Peter, this apostle, takes it upon himself to exhort these men. Exhort, not command. And it's striking that Peter doesn't 
assert his authority as an apostle. He doesn't announce that he is the first pope of the Church of Rome. He speaks to these elders as a fellow elder. Look, I am a guy, he says, in the trenches with you. I know the pains and the struggles of ministry, and that's where I'm exhorting and encouraging you from as a fellow elder. And he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Jesus inform all of Christian ministry. And here Peter, with the other 11 disciples, followed Jesus as he walked through the land of Israel, experiencing the eventual rejection and hatred of the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people. He was there when Jesus was groaning in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter was present when Jesus was arrested. He followed him and saw Jesus being interrogated in the court of the high priest. And whether or not Peter was an actual witness of the crucifixion, if, if so, it was from afar. Peter was a man who knew what it meant for the chief shepherd to be someone who suffered. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus tells us and he shows us what true shepherding looks like. And when Peter is restored by Jesus, the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection, and you can read about this in John chapter 20, Jesus takes Peter aside and he tells him three times, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, Peter. Be a shepherd just like me. And for Peter, being a shepherd was very different than the pursuit of glory and status that he was initially after as a disciple. And being a shepherd and caring for the people of God, for Peter meant following Jesus in his own sufferings. And being a shepherd and an elder and an apostle meant for Peter in the end, he would die just like his master did. That's what it means to be a shepherd, to be a spiritual leader in the house of God. But suffering is not the whole story. Suffering is not the whole story for Jesus, and it's not the whole story for those of us who follow Jesus in service and ministry either, because Peter is not just a fellow elder. He's not just a witness of the sufferings. He is a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. One day, Jesus is going to come back, and the curtain is going to be torn open, and stupendous and dazzling beauty is going to be revealed. The vision of God is going to dawn on our eyes, and we get to share in that if we follow Jesus along the path of the cross. And I believe for Peter, he's not thinking of that partaking as only in the future, because even now, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, something of the kingdom of God and something of its glory has already dawned in his heart and in our hearts. And so here Peter comes alongside these elders, these leaders, and he has one basic exhortation for these men. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. 
And that word shepherd is the word that we get our English word pastor from. Elders and pastors in the New Testament are basically a synonymous term. Shepherd the people of God that is among you. Here's a flock. It belongs to God. He's called these men and women and children together and put them in a single flock purchased with the price of the blood of his own son. And now your job is to shepherd them. And shepherding is this image that we have throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 23 springs to mind, of course, but in many other places, God speaks of himself as being the shepherd of God's people. And being a shepherd involves several things, including feeding the sheep, making sure they have something to eat, protecting them from the wolves and bears and enemies that would seek to destroy them, leading and guiding the sheep on the path they are to go, disciplining sheep that disobey and wander. The shepherd had a staff with a hook on one end to yank those who wandered and the staff to give a little whack to those who were not following him. The shepherd's called to seek those who get lost, to leave the 99 and go and seek those who wander away, to take the injured and to heal them, to bind up their wounds. And in all these things, the pastor, shepherd, elder, is exercising the shepherding ministry of Jesus to his people, his people who are so precious to them. And as shepherds, these men to whom Peter are writing are called to exercise oversight. And that oversight word is another interesting word because it's um, the word that we derive bishop from. Elder, bishop, pastor is basically the same office in the New Testament. And being a shepherd involves exercising authority. Oversight means guiding and guarding and governing. Someone's got to be in charge, and it's not with their own authority, but an authority that Jesus delegates, that he represents himself among. And it's for, not for their own good, but for the good of the sheep. So the sheep don't destroy themselves so that they experience the good to which God wants to bring them. And so we have this oversight word, this overword, shepherds are to be over, but notice that they are to exercise oversight to the flock of God that is among you. There's over and there's among. Over and there's among. And so the shepherd should smell like a sheep. Because you can't shepherd unless you spend your time with the sheep. You cannot effectually shepherd sheep by sitting in your air-conditioned office watching the drones on your video screen. You have to go and be with the sheep and actually love and spend time with the sheep just like Jesus does with us. And then Peter lays out these three... um, these three pairings, these three, not this, but this, not this, but this, not this, but this. And it's very striking that all these pairings, all these specific instruction to the shepherd leaders in the church, they're not about giftings. They're not about technique. They're not about strategy. They're not about tips and tricks. They are about character. They're about the heart of the leader. And if you read through the qualifications for elders that Paul lays out in the pastoral epistles, you notice that almost all of them are about 
character? What kind of person is this man? What is his heart like? So let's go through these three characteristics. The first one is this. You're to shepherd and exercise oversight, he says to leaders, not under compulsion. There is a temptation for shepherds to to hang back, to, to shirk responsibility, to refuse to engage. Because engaging with people, it's messy and it's painful. And it's not a job for lazy people. And God calls pastors and leaders not to lean back, but to lean forward toward his people. I encountered a pastor recently who said, you know what, I, I like to preach. I like to be in my study. I like to strategize and have the grand vision, but I'm not, I'm not pastoral, he said. So I hand that job off to the other pastors. There's no such thing as a pastor who is not pastoral. And someone who has no heart for people is not called by Jesus to shepherd and pastor his sheep. But you know, here's another reason in this particular situation that Peter reminds the elders, don't do this under compulsion. Because we're talking about shepherding in a time of crisis. Here's a church over which the dark cloud of persecution is coming. The shadow is falling. And already people's neighbors and families are showing signs of hatred and resentment. And it's no fun to be a leader in that situation. It's fun to lead when everyone applauds you. Not so fun to lead when you are sticking your neck up over the wall and presenting yourself as the first target of the enemies of the church. Don't do this with a feeling of compulsion, grudgingly under a sense of duty where you have to be shamed into performing what Jesus wants you. But in contrast, Peter says, do this willingly. And do you know why? Here's the ultimate reason. Jesus did not need to be nagged to go to the cross. Fine, I guess I'll die for these people. That is not the heart of Jesus. Jesus went joyfully. And he counted the cross. He knew the shame. He knew the pain. But he went joyfully. He leaned into the will of God and the love of God. And those of us, whether we're called to pastor or to minister and lead God's people in any way, should love the work that God has called us to do. Love the work because we love Jesus and because we love Jesus' people. Not under compulsion, but willingly. That's the first pairing. Here's the second one. And all these, I think, represent different temptations for different kinds of pastors. Second one is this. Don't do it for shameful gain. Don't get into ministry for shameful gain. Now, Peter's not speaking against paying pastors a decent salary. Pastors should be able to, you know, put food on the table and buy shoes for their kids. We're talking about something completely different here. We're talking about those who see in Christian ministry an opportunity to line their own pockets. And man, if you've got a silver tongue, if you know how to use radio and television and other media, 
If you know how to tickle people's ears, there is a lot of money in this business. Not in this church, but in other places. There is a lot of cash for those whose consciences are so seared that they exploit vulnerable Christians, that they manipulate those who are poor and uneducated, the elderly and the sick, and manipulate them into sending money to me so that I can enrich myself. And God has some searing things to say to those who treat his people that way. Turn, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. I'm looking at Ezekiel chapter 34, where the word of the Lord comes to the prophet to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the elders of those times. Ezekiel 34, at the beginning of the chapter, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And with force and harshness, Jesus, the chief shepherd, will judge those pastors and elders who see in the people of God only a means for their own enrichment. Don't do this for shameful gain. Beware the temptation of greed. Don't do it that way, but do it eagerly. Do it eagerly. And it's an eagerness not for taking from people, but for giving to people. And the true pastor, the true shepherd, the Holy Spirit puts in his heart a desire to minister grace to people, to give and give and give of the grace of God. In contrast to these greedy golden pastors, of which we have far too many examples, I think of these village pastors when I was in India in Orissa. And Anka took me in a little car out through the rice paddies to these tiny churches where people, these little house churches where Christians were worshiping God on the floor without furniture on these dried cow dung floors. And they were being served by pastors who were being paid maybe $25 a month. They couldn't afford a car. They couldn't even afford a motorcycle or a moped. These men of God were cycling hours every day through the rice fields to preach the word of God and to care for these tiny little flocks. There was no gain in it for them. In fact, they would come home and with the last few hours of daylight, they would go to work in their own rice paddies to feed their family. Those are the true men of God that Jesus delights to honor. And they give us an example of an eagerness to serve and to minister the grace of God that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Third pair, not domineering over those in your charge. Peter writes in verse 3. 
Laziness is a temptation for some pastors. Money is a temptation for others. But for many, many more, the temptation is for status and power. When I was a little boy, I sat in the congregation and I thought, I want to be a minister. And that wasn't from the Holy Spirit. Well, he uses all things. But it's like, this is obviously the most important person in the community. And everyone's looking up to this guy. And I really like feeling important. And I, I want to be in charge. And therefore, I want this position. And people can get into pastoral ministry sheerly out of the cravings of the fleshly desire for status and power. They're insecure. And they want to climb up the social ladder so they can peer down from their height onto the humble people below them. And in their hearts, they begin to feel contempt towards ordinary Christians. They think of themselves as more important in the eyes of God. And they even begin to spiritually abuse God's people. It's a terrible thing to encounter a pastor who has become a bully, who shouts at people, who dominates them, who blasts them with his own will and his own desires and shoves everyone to the side to achieve what he wants. Domineering, literally lording it over people. And there is only one Lord over the church of God. And it's not me or any other leader. It is Jesus Christ himself. When we look at Jesus, what do we see? Do we see Jesus domineering over people, bullying people, shouting at them until he's red in the face? Our Savior is meek and gentle and lowly. And the bruised reed he will not break, and the smoldering wick he will not quench. Jesus is gentle and he cares for his people. Don't be a domineering person, Peter says, but be an example for them. Be a model sheep. Under shepherds are sheep, and their job is to model what it means to be like Jesus themselves. It's so easy for Christians to be dazzled by charisma, to be impressed by people's gifts and to put them forward. And it's easy for us to be impressed by our own gifts. But what God is after again and again is character. Character. And bad character always catches up to incredible gifting. It always does. And you see these gifted, charismatic pastors build huge churches and then something happens and the whole thing comes crashing down. And we realize, you know, maybe instead of following that gifted guy, I should have put myself under the guy with the seeming mediocre gifts who was faithful, who loved Jesus and loved his people. There's a great uh, pastor from 19th century Scotland. His name was Robert Murray Machane. He died at the age of 29. He was a great man of God. And he said this, what my people need most of all, what my people need most of all 
is my own personal holiness. What my people need most of all is my own personal holiness. And Mishane was such a man of God, it was said that he would ascend the stairs into his pulpit. And even before he would begin to open his mouth, people would begin weeping because there was such an aura of holiness and closeness to God about this man. And I realize I'm saying these things mostly to myself this afternoon. And I really should have brought a large mirror and put it in the front row so I could look at myself and preach these things to myself. But this applies to all of us who are called to lead and care for the people of God in any way. It's about being an example and saying with the utmost humility, follow me as I follow Christ. That is not an easy thing to say with integrity. And before you put yourself forward as a leader, make sure you can say those words, follow me as I follow Christ. Sobering words, all of these, but there is great joy at the end of this calling because Peter says in verse 4 that when the chief shepherd appears, and notice there is a chief shepherd. Elders and pastors and bishops are under shepherds. There is a chief shepherd. And all of us who are called to tend the flock of God are one day going to give an account to Jesus for how we treated his sheep. And Jesus loves his sheep very much. He died for them. And we will have to give an account to him for how we loved and cared for and fed and protected his people. The chief shepherd is going to appear. And when that comes, there is great news for those who have been faithfully, humbly serving God's people. They will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the Greek and Roman world, there was a crown of flowers that was given to those who were victorious in athletic events. And you could put that on your mantelpiece, but after a week, those flowers would begin to rot and decay, and you would throw it in the garbage. But Jesus has a crown for his servants that is not going to, to fade. It's not going to wither. It's not going to rot. And this is a reward that comes from Jesus himself. Notice that the reward does not come from the sheep. The sheep don't take up a collection and somehow craft an unfading crown of glory to give to their pastors. It comes from Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Warren Wearsby, who passed away a few years ago, describes how after a service one time, a visitor came up to him and said, Pastor, you've got this huge church. How on earth do you keep everyone happy? He said, I don't try to keep everyone happy. I try to keep Jesus happy. He is the one that I report to. And as your pastor, I am here to serve you. And I want to be receptive to your input and your critique and your help to make me grow. But ultimately, I do not report to you and you do not report to me. But we report to Jesus, the chief shepherd. 
And there is a day coming when all the painful labor of Christian ministry will all be worth it. All the pain, all the sweat, all the tears, all the anxiety and the agonizing. And that is going to come when we stand before Jesus and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And that is the sentence that we want to hear said over us. And those words, those golden words from the mouth of Jesus himself are going to make everything worth it. And all the things that tempted us to become bitter and discouraged will melt away and we will receive the approval of Jesus himself. That is what we long to receive from him. Most of these verses or for those who are called to shepherd the flock of God. But Peter has a word for all of us who are people in the congregation. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And I think Peter is using younger there as sort of a general, those who are not elders, everyone else in the congregation. All of you be subject to the elders. And you know what? In a time of temptation, when this church is under stress and strain, it's like a bridge where great weight has been placed on it. And the, the different struts and parts of the bridge groan as they stretch and push and pull against each other. And when the church of God is under attack, when people are being arrested or losing their jobs, and your pastor, or the, the team of elders that governs the church, is making decisions on how to relate to, author- to the authorities and how to conduct ourselves as a church, then there's temptation to doubt them and resist them as we all try to save our own skins. Jesus, in his grace, puts people over us as the church of God. And he asks us to submit to them. I'm not talking about authoritarianism. I'm not talking about blindly obeying abusive leaders. I'm talking about faithful, spirit-filled men of God, and we're called to submit to them. Listen to these words from Hebrews 13, just to underline what Peter is saying. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I'm so glad I can say these words, not out of rebuke to you, but a thanks of a sense of thanksgiving. I was ordained here about a year ago, and I've been really blessed to minister to you and among you. And this church fills me with a lot of joy and delight. And long may that continue as we seek Jesus together, and as we are all submitting, not ultimately to human leaders, but behind them, to Jesus Christ himself. You know what? Submission is something that all Christians are called to do. We don't divide the church between those who have to submit and those who don't. We all submit to Jesus. Here's a final exhortation for all of us. Clothe yourselves, all of you, elders and people, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Now, in the ancient world, as through much of history, clothes reflected your status. You weren't dressing for self-expression so much as to show your exact place in society. And only certain classes were allowed to wear certain garments and certain colors, different stripes, the color of your stripe, the width of your stripe. You could just look at someone in the street and pinpoint pretty much exactly where he or she fit in in the social hierarchy. Not for Christians. We all are called to wear the same simple brown homespun garment of humility. We all wear that because we're not playing games of social status and hierarchy. We're not, hopefully, by the Spirit, we're not edging and maneuvering and trying to wait, to work our way up the ladder so we can be among the happy people who get to dominate those below us. We're all wearing this garment. Charles and Ray Eames were sort of a power couple of American architecture and design in the early 20th century. Charles the husband, Ray the wife. And they, they were famous, uh, among many other things, for the Eames chair, which is sort of like this curved plywood chair that's in the Museum of Modern Art, I believe. And they were dedicated artists and designers, and they had 24 hours in the day just like the rest of us. They said, you know what? We're wasting time every morning looking at our closets, trying to figure out what we're going to wear. So they designed little uniforms for themselves. They weren't matching. They weren't identical. Charles had his, Ray had hers, but they had these uniforms so they could focus on just getting to the job at hand. And humility is that uniform for Christians. We open our closet every morning, and there's one garment that God has hanging on the rack for us, humility. And many of the virtues described in the New Testament were virtues that were honored in the pagan world, but not this one. Humility was an attitude for slaves and slaves only. But this garment never goes out of fashion in the kingdom of God. It's always the thing to wear. And here's why. Quoting from the book of Proverbs, Peter says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paradoxically, the way to ascend to God is to descend, to climb down, to take the low place, because that's where the grace of God is found. That's where the grace of God is found. And I don't know about you, but I would love to have some more grace from God. My appetite for the grace of God has not been exhausted. I need his grace, and I need more and more grace every day. And when we're humble, we're just cheerfully accepting our place in God's kingdom, in his economy. And in Jesus, we all recognize ourselves at the very lowest place that Jesus himself took. Because we know we're just creatures in the end. We're just weak, frail little things. And we are sinners who need to confess our failures to God failures of leadership, and failures of following every day. With Christ in the lowest place, but we're also with Christ in the highest and exalted place, the place where there's glory and there's unfading crowns because we belong to him. And you know what? Every church conflict 
every church conflict ultimately comes down to people not acting with humility. We can all save ourselves a ton of grief in this church if we have humble hearts before God and before one another. It's amazing what the people of God can achieve when no one cares about status, no one's grasping after authority, no one's consumed with greed, no one's trying to put others down so they can exalt themselves. When we're all just happily who God created and called us to be, this church can be a joyful, harmonious place. Here we are talking about spiritual leadership and talking about shepherding. When we do so, whether we're called to lead or to follow, we do so with the shadow of the chief shepherd himself following over his people. Because all these things we've been speaking about, Jesus did perfectly and he did supremely. He came not under compulsion, but willingly. He came for his people, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. He's not domineering over those in his charge, but he is an example and the supreme example to the flock. Peter and the Spirit through Peter teaches us this afternoon that Jesus, the chief shepherd, is caring for his flock through faithful under-shepherds. And we who are called to be under-shepherds honor Jesus by caring faithfully for his flock. And those of us who are sheep, who are people, we honor Christ by recognizing his voice through his under-shepherds. We need Jesus himself to feed for this church, to care for this church, to protect this church, and to guide this church. Let's open up our hands to him and ask for the ministry of the chief shepherd himself to be present here by his spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, we come to you as the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And we rejoice, each of us here, however uh, lowly and humble we are, that we are loved by you, we are treasured by you, and we are dear to you. Lord, we pray that this would be a church that would be blessed with faithful servant leaders. May your spirit fill those who are leading now, and may your spirit call those whom you have chosen to also share in the leadership of this church. And Lord, we pray that all of us in this congregation would be clothed with humility. Lord, there are so many ways this church could destroy itself and damage and even destroy the faith of your sheep. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to show yourself faithful to this church as you have down through the years. And may we prosper and flourish under your care. In your great name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.